Hello, and welcome to The Unique CPA with your host, Randy Crabtree. The goal of our show is to keep you at the forefront of the changing face of public accounting by having conversations with fascinating leaders and bringing you their stories, insights, and advice. The Unique CPA podcast is brought to you by Trimerit, the specialty tax professionals. Today, our guest is John Spence. I'm very excited to have John here today. John is uh, widely uh, recognized as one of the top business and leadership development experts in the world. Uh, You're going to understand that as I kind of go through what I'm going to make is a little longer intro than I normally do, but John's been uh, named on a lot of top lists, which I'm a big fan of lists. And so at 26 years old, he was actually named, which is what, 26? Was that like yesterday, John? 26, or? <laughs> like 32 years ago. Okay. Well, at 26, he was named one of America's up and coming young business leaders. He's been recognized as one of the top 100 business thought leaders in America, one of the top 100 small business influencers in America, one of the top 50 small business experts in America, and I'm not done, one of the top 500 leadership development experts in the world. Uh, the American Management Association named him America, one of America's top 50 leaders to watch. He's also been recognized by the highly prestigious Thinkers 50 as one of the top eight pretty high up there in the world for their Distinguished Achievement Award. I can go on and on about companies he worked with, the books he's written, but I think we'll cut it off there. John, welcome to the Unique CPA. Thank you, Randy. It's good to be here, sir. Yeah, well, it's uh, you and I met for the first time just a week ago, and I feel like I've known you forever. So I, I, I think I understand how you uh, uh, do well in this business. Uh, you're, you're very easy to get to know, like and know. Well, that's kind of you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, one thing before we get going that I'm just going to uh, put in here, because I, I read this and this is a, your book is, I think, a title of this too, but your motto or one of the things you've said or you've written on your website or in your bio is making the very complex, awesomely simple. And I love that because I, I think I think I try to live that way when because I do lots of webinars on tax topics, which can be very boring and complex. And, and I think I try to make them as simple as possible. So how did you come up with that and, and, and gives us a little bit of I guess it's self-explanatory, but what that what that all means to you? Well, it's something that I sort of, I didn't really realize I did until I started reading about some of these things. And there, I'll give you an example. I read a great book called The Cambridge Handbook of uh, Expertise and Expert Performance, a 970-page book written by experts about how to become an expert. <laughs> uh, I'll save you the reading. It basically said there's four Ps. And I think this applies, and it, it applies across in, in your business and arts and whatever it might be. Uh, The first P is passion. Uh, I think it just stands to reason if you don't love what you do, you don't really enjoy it, it would be hard to become world-class at it. Uh, The next one is patience. And some of the folks listening might have read Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, and some of the research there says about 10 years, 10,000 hours to to move into that realm of, of the third P, which is practice. But it's a special kind of practice. It's called deliberate practice. And deliberate practice is... I've got a coach or a mentor or a colleague, or I'm going to training, but every time I practice, I'm practicing a little bit harder. I'm always getting a little bit better. I'm not resting at one level, which leads to the fourth and final P, and this gets to your answer, is pattern recognition. That when you become really, really good at something, you've spent 10, 20 years at it, you've been constantly practicing, that all of a sudden you see it in a way that other people don't see it. (laughs) Uh, this is how you know a great musician can look at a piece of sheet music and hear the music in their head. 
uh, or a you know chess grandmaster can look at the the, uh, the board and tell you here's ten moves this way, fifteen moves that way, because they don't see the board in pieces. They see a clear pattern. Well, I built my entire career looking for patterns. Wow. I look for patterns in business. I look for patterns in executive coaching. And when I see, and I also study, I read about 100 to 120 business books a year. I combine all that. And then I just say, all right, what's the thread that runs through all of it? What's the things I see over and over and over again? And that redundancy gives me a pattern. So I can take extremely complex things and find the pattern and then just teach the pattern. Nice. And is that just a way your brain works or I mean, this is just did you t- teach yourself this or it's just like, Hey, this is how I know I can do things and, and let's go with it. Well, a little bit of each. Yeah. Uh, apparently I this is a skill I've had, Yep. but my first mentor, uh, when I was, uh, working at the Rockefeller foundation, uh, Charlie Owen would walk in, walk in my office every day and, uh, every Monday and hand me a book, business book. And he'd say, I'll see you on Friday for lunch. We're going to go through the book. And then it, on Fridays, I'd have to sit down with a lunch and he, he'd just pummel me. But the thing that, he, that changed, not just what did you learn, but here's what he said, what are the three things you will apply? So he was the first one to teach me to take ideas and turn them into action. Hmm. And then he would say, okay, I'm going to write those down. You'll now be held responsible for doing that in your job. And I think that practice of looking for things to apply, I'm going to read a 300 page book, but I have to write three action steps really honed my skills at looking for core patterns of essential information. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's a, that, this wasn't even where we were going to go. And you already got me, you already got me going. So the one thing you mentioned when we were talking about that is the books you read, 100, 120 a year. Yeah. Um, you and I, uh, when we talked last week, I confessed, I do not read any business books and I know I should. Is there a advice you can give me to well, I'm 60 now. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I'm done. Maybe I don't need to worry about that. <laughs> don't give up on yourself. There's still hope. But, you might be able to make it, Randy. Come on, man. Don't give up. All right. I'll do my best. Is there advice you can give me to get started? I mean, I read books yeah. all the time. I just don't read business books. And maybe that's a, a, a deficit I have in my career. I don't know. Uh, well, you know, like, like, let me give you some statistics real quick, statistics. Yep. Um, the average college graduate reads about a half a business book a year. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so you're not too far off. You're at zero. <laughs> you pick it up a little bit. Uh, but get this. If you were to read one book or the equivalent thereof, you know, it doesn't have to be reading. it be listening to an audio book yep. or yep. Look, a podcast, but something taking in the equivalent of one business book per every other month, six books a year, you're in the top 1% in the United States of America for self-learning. Okay. If you did one a month, 12 books a year, you're in the top 1% on the face of the earth for personal development and business skills. So my advice A is the bar is not very high. Uh, you can basically trip over that one. <laughs> uh, number two, there's more information available for free ever in the history of humankind. Oh, yeah. So it, it isn't going to cost you that much. And number three is just discipline. Um, I block an hour a day and don't forget, this is my job. You know, right. I, mean, I, 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 my job is to learn stuff, but if you block 15 minutes a day to read or listen to a podcast, that's about five hours a week. That's a, uh, about an hour and a half a week, about seven hours a month. If you consistently did that, uh, you'd be in the top 10% in America for new learning. And I learned it really, really early in my career at the foundation because 
no one else was really reading. And I was reading and studying and learning. And everybody else got a $1,000 raise and I got a 3,000. Mm-hmm. Then they got a 3,000. I got a 5,000. Then they got a 5,000. And I became CEO. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the correlation to me was not direct, but for every 100 books I read, things seem to be getting a little bit better. Nice. Uh, and, and again, it doesn't mean that I have a high IQ per se. It just means I have access to more information. It doesn't make me a genius. It just means I have other people's ideas to pull from. See, I think maybe that's why I don't read books because I do have a very high IQ. All right. So I already think I know it all. Maybe that's the problem. And I'm sure you know, we can analyze me then with that I, knowledge. I prefer not to. <laughs> I, you just turned 60 this week. Yes. I believe I turned 58 about a month ago and I was thinking about it. I feel like I'm learning more now than I ever have in my entire life. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm just having a blast. But here's my phrase. I now realize I know almost nothing about almost nothing and nothing about almost everything. All right. All right. Wait, I'm not sure I caught that. Maybe my IQ is not that high. <laughs> Say that you again. Know, almost nothing about almost nothing. Okay. And, and almost nothing about almost everything. Okay. I, I've got a very small area of expertise yep. that I know a little bit about. Yep. And then I know nothing about a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. Oh, I can, I can, I can uh, relate with that. I, I know a decent amount about certain tax codes and uh, can uh, talk about that quite well. But there are a lot of things you I agree completely that I know <laughs> nothing about. So, all right, I'm going to I'm going to take myself down a couple of notches and make sure everybody realizes I was kidding with that. I'm not I do have a ego, but it's not that large. Um, all right. So let's this is great. Let's go into. So the, obviously, this is the unique CPA. What we like to do is give CPAs in general some knowledge that they can help in their career, their business, their, you know, personal life, whatever it is, is there a path you'd like to go down where that we think we can help CPAs? You know, obviously it's a stressful business. I'm sure every business is, but just ended the tax season, although I'm not sure when this will be released, but what can you help CPAs with to be better at what they're doing or wherever you want to go with this? I've got two areas that I'd, I'd like to share with you. Yep. The first is... All those 30 years now of reading, studying, learning, working with companies all over the world, part of what I found is a pattern of what great businesses focus on. Okay. And it's it's four key things, and, and I'm sure uh, CPAs will appreciate that I put it into a formula. Nice. And I'm sure someone will look at the formula and realize it's not done correctly. <laughs> but, <laughs> but anyways, it's uh, in, in brackets, we'll actually do the formula thing. In brackets, talent plus culture, plus extreme, and we'll call it client focus, close brackets, multiplied by disciplined execution. So let me go through that. I I think these are four things that are fundamental to running a great company, whether you're a solopreneur or you're running Apple. Uh, Number one is the the quality of your business is directly tied to the quality of the people you can get, grow, and keep on your team. And if you were, even if you're a solopreneur, that's you Mm -hmm. and that's any outsourcers or vendors you use, but uh, your company will never be more successful than the, than the people you have in it, period. So talent, that means that talent acquisition, talent development, and talent retention should be a major strategy. And if you have a larger firm and you, you know, especially in your industry where you're not making anything that's, t- you know, I can't go and take a picture next to my right. stuff. It's not a lumpy object. Yep. You're selling intellectual prowess. I need really smart people on my team. Uh, number two is culture. And it's a balance of two things. You have to have a culture of engagement 
where people like what they do, they enjoy their job, they like the people they work with, they take pride in the organization they work for, the, the sort of what I would call the happy part of the engagement. Then the other side of the culture is a culture of accountability, where people actually deliver the work that they need to deliver on time and done exceedingly well. Uh, then the next one is extreme client focus. And I will tell you, as I've worked with thousands of companies, 95% of organizations are pathetic at truly listening to their customer slash client at understanding the real needs, wants, worries, desires. Uh, and these are the people that pay all the bills. So I think I've got a phrase, whoever owns the voice of the customer owns the marketplace. Uh, and then the last thing is this is all multiplied by disciplined execution. Uh, other than communications issues, the single largest issue I see at every client company I work with is not being able to actually execute on the strategies and plans that they've developed. All right. So let me stop for a minute. That is what I call my formula for business excellence. And that's 30 years <laughs> into one equation. Oh, so this is this is very simple then. We just we can do it. the 30 years you just gave us right in three minutes. That's awesome. So now we just go <laughs> put it into play. Let me give it's awesomely us- simple. <laughs> I'm not plugging I hate plugging my book. I'm not plugging that. I just had to go for that. Well, one. I'm going to read awesomely simple. And I'm I'm so this is on this is on record. I was gonna say on tape, it's not tape, whatever this is anymore. It's on digital. Um, I, I am going to read awesomely simple. Tell me that again. Talent plus culture plus extreme client focus. Multiplied by disciplined execution. Multiplied. Got it. That's I'm going to put an X for times um, and say that again. Talent plus culture plus extreme client focus multiplied by disciplined execution. Got it. Disciplined execution. All right. So, so that's awesome. And then, so there was, so do we want to expand on this or do we want to go to the next uh, set? Uh, the two things you said. Another thing we'll talk about from leadership. And then if you want to, you know, double back on this around the idea of branding or marketing or sales or something like that, whatever topic you think your listeners would be most interested in. But I did want to talk, you and I chatted when we were getting ready for the show yeah. uh, about an idea I gave a TED talk on. Uh, on the future of leadership. And I, I think that everyone, that whether you lead one person or you lead a large firm, there's a couple of things that are fundamental to leadership. You know, honesty, integrity, good communication skills, being able to get along well with other people, collaborate, uh, a few other things. I, I won't go through the list. Most of us know them. But as I look going forward, there are three quotients that I think uh, leaders need to possess to be successful moving forward. The first one, which I don't need to talk to you about because you're just sky high, woohoo, is IQ. Uh, wow, you got, you've had an incredible IQ. So Thank I, you. Actually, it's hurting my eyes from here. I didn't realize you could see that through this uh, the computer, but that's pretty oh, cool. Oh, I feel it. Yeah, it's like an aura around you. Sorry, I'll, but, I'll, put uh, a, I'll put a shade down in front of me or something. Okay, so. well, and, and now I'm going to shoot you down because it isn't your IQ. <laughs> you, can have, you can have an IQ off the charts. Yes. And, still be a moron at yes. some level. Yep. Uh, so the, really, it's not the number, it's competence. And you and, and all kidding aside, you're extremely competent at what you do. So the idea here is you've got to be very, very, very good at what you do. Uh, so IQ. EQ is your emotional quotient. And that's your ability to make genuine connections with other people, have empathy, and be able to create not just a sense of competence, but also a sense of caring. Uh, I, I won't go through the whole four 
quadrant thing. Every consultant has to have a four quadrant thing they invent. <laughs> but uh, mine is around competence concern. Uh, high competence, high concern is what you look for as a trusted advisor. Uh, you know, low competence or low competence, high, wait a minute, the other way. High competence, low concern, high IQ, low EQ is someone I respect. They're bright, they're sharp, they're talented, but they're not very nice. Okay. I, I'm impressed with them, but I don't trust them because I know they're only looking out for themselves. Low competence, low concern. I'm incompetent and I don't care. This is not a winning competition. <laughs> sound good. No. All right. <laughs> no. Uh, high concern, low competence. I see this a lot. Really nice person. Right. Sweetheart. Love being out, but they just aren't that good at what they do. Yep. So we're getting to the one of high competence, high concern. Now, I wrote a book on leadership. I can basically boil it all down to this idea. A good leader is highly competent and concerned. And here's the phrase. I'm good at what I do and I do it because I care about you. Okay. Every one of the folks listening to this, that's that's what you want your clients to believe. Yep. I'm really good at what I'm doing. I'm getting better all the time. I'm constantly learning, growing, improving, and I'm doing it all to serve you better and to help you more. So that's the IQ. The EQ we found out is actually five times to nine times more important than IQ. Hmm. If you're really competent, but you can't get along with other people, you can't lead them and you oh, can't yeah. really grow your company. Yep. The third one, which not many people have heard of is AQ which is your adaptability or agility quotient. And that's your ability to, to move fast, be nimble, pivot, learn quickly, be uh, a voracious learner. Uh, but also here's the big one is your ability to unlearn things. That people with an adapt high adaptability quotient can, can handle ambiguity and have enough courage to look at things that don't work any longer, even if they've been doing it five, 10, 15, 20 years and say, it ain't the way it's working going forward. And it's my belief that AQ is actually more important than IQ and EQ, because if you're smart and you get along with well with people, but you can't keep up with what's changing uh, in the marketplace, pretty hard to run a business successfully there. Mm -hmm. I, I think personally, I, I was pretty good at the first two. It took me a while for the last one. Uh, I think I, I handled adversity well and all that and could adapt, but I, I, I resisted change. And I assume that's part of that AQ is being able to see that change is needed and being able to adapt. But once I did, and this was about five years ago, man, I things went through the roof for me. I mean, I just can't even imagine not doing what I'm doing. And five years ago, I would have told you, yeah, maybe three more years and I'm done. And, <laughs> and, and, and now it's just uh, like you said earlier, I'm just having a blast. And so I assume that's that that change in me that happened in that AQ. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And you said you resisted. It's I, I, I do a lot of work with companies that are going through change. And I think there's a fact that most people don't understand, which is when someone is faced with what they perceive as negative change, mm -hmm. uh, they go through the same emotional cycle as if someone they knew died. Mm -hmm. So literally, depending on the person, it can be that intense. And they go through, a you know, denial, then anger, then bargaining, then depression, you know, and all these emotions even if it's something as small as like, oh, I'm replacing your chair in your office. Wait, it took me 15 years to get this thing in the shape of my butt. I'm gone. I love this chair. You can't take my chair up to, you know, where you're losing your job or you're changing your career, you're getting divorced or something like that. People will, will react negatively to change in a strong way. And part of your AQ, your adaptability quotient is the ability to, to look at change and just say, I have to go through it. This is this is something that's necessary for me to move forward. Right. 
Yep. And that that's that's what we did. We we I was managing partner five years ago, decided to make a change and and I knew it was for the best. But just in my mind, it was it was uh, and I found this out recently. In my mind, it was my identity somewhat. I was like, OK, that's my identity. And I if I don't have that, what do I have? Well, what I found is I have so many more skills other than I was going to say other than managing the firm. I didn't have much skill in managing the firm. I, I Looking back now, my skills were this, going out, educating, speaking, talking, writing, you know, doing all these things. And I would never have had this if we didn't make that change. And so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's something that I am a huge fan of knowing that this is existing and that, that uh, there's a way to bring this into your career. And that, I guess, brings me to the next question. We know these are, we know the AQ, the IQ, the EQ, the, they're out there. So do we try to identify or is this what you do to try to identify where everybody is in these quotients and find ways to affect it, to change, to be different, to be better? How do we use this and, and then going forward and for us personally and in our business? That's a really, really good question. So let's go through the three of them quickly. Yep. These are all skills you can improve. Okay. So they're all learnable skills. IQ can't raise the number per se, but you can you can increase the amount of information you take in. You yep. can read, yep. you can go to podcasts, you can go to classes you teach, things like that. So that one you can it that one's imminently fixable. I mean just start to study. EQ is actually also You're saying that to me personally, right? Start yeah, to study, I'm Randy. Directing this okay. Exactly right. at you. Okay, thank you. Uh, you're going to be making a book report to me every month <laughs> going forward. Randy. I'm going to be held accountable. Uh, All right. <laughs> EQ can also be learned. Uh, EQ is there's three ma- there's three major elements to it. Uh, the first one is self awareness, the ability to to stop and check how am I feeling. And it, this sounds touchy feely, but the truth of the matter is. is if you don't do this, it's hard to handle the second part. So the first part of EQ is self-awareness. What am I feeling? Am I angry? Am I frustrated? Am I anxious? Am I confused? Whatever it might be. And then step two to EQ is self-regulation. Being able to stop there in that gap and say, now that I've named the emotion I'm feeling, let's just say anger. Mm-hmm. How can now I regulate to an appropriate way to express that anger or frustration? Some people, that gap between stimulus and response is very small, and it's, I get angry, I yell. Uh, I do this, I threaten, whatever it might be. Uh, I get mad. People who are good at EQ have the ability to say, I'm beginning to feel angry, not what is my emotion driving me right now, but what would be the appropriate way for me to respond if it was in a way that I would be pleased in the way I did it. I'd I'd feel like, I, I call it the ideal me that I really was able to, uh, to respond in a way that was elegant and polite and kind and in a way that I'd be proud of. Mm-hmm. So those are the first two. That's a practice thing. Practice self-awareness, practice self-regulation. Then the third one is empathy. Uh, and there's three levels here. Sympathy is I feel sorry for you. Empathy is I think I understand how you feel. And then there's compassion, which is I feel sad and I want to help you. I want to be into it. We're looking for the one in empathy in the middle is let, let me try. If I can, if I can understand my own, own emotions, let me make an attempt to try to understand yours. Not say I know how you feel, but I think I know how you feel. Right. Those three things sound a little amorphous, but the truth of the matter is, is if you if you practice them, you can become much, much better in EQ. I had an incredibly low EQ years ago, and it's something I've had to work very hard on, and I think I'm getting just a little teeny bit better. And then AQ is, 
Well, I was going to say, have you read the book? Good to great. But knowing that you don't read. <laughs> so uh, I'll tell you this. I have not read it, but it has been quoted on this podcast many times. And in fact, I just wrote an article for accounting today based on a conversation I had with the managing partner of a firm. And it was all about right person, right seat, which is okay. in good to great. Correct. Good to great is that right person, the right seat on the right bus. You yep. just got a hedgehog concept, which I think is a really important one for, again, you t- us talking about your career and your life, the three overlapping circles of what, what could I be world-class at, truly world-class that I love to do. And it also has a strong economic engine to it. I meet a lot of entrepreneurs that are really, really good at something they love to do. Unfortunately, no one wants to pay for it. Right. And that's called a hobby <laughs> a career. But the, the, the um, thing out of Jim Collins I was going to talk about is the Stockdale paradox. And Stockdale was the highest ranking military officer to be taken, uh, become a prisoner of war in Vietnam. And they sent him to Hanoi Hilton for seven years, tortured him. I won't go on and on. And the end of it, he made it out. And they asked him, you know, how did you survive when all these other people couldn't make it? He said, it's very simple. All of the optimists died. <laughs> and I went, what? And he said, yeah, the ones who kept saying, you know, I hope we're out by Christmas. I'll be home for Christmas. Guy, Well, then uh, Christmas would come and go. Then you know, I'll be home for Easter. And then I'll be home for Thanksgiving. And year after year after year until eventually they lost hope. They gave up on themselves and frankly, their own lives. Here's and here's where the AQ comes into Stockdale paradox says you must have the courage to look at the most brutal facts of your current reality without ever losing faith that you will persevere in the end. So a big part of adaptability is you got to face up to reality. This, This is what's happening in my market. This is what's happening with my firm. This is what's happening with my clients. This is what's happening with technology. And, and then look at it and go, well, here's what I got to do to make it better, but I, I will make it better. I will put my head down and I will fix this because and now I'm not ignoring it and, and hoping it will go away. Hope is not a strategy. No. All right. All right. So that's that's things that people can work on themselves then to, to become better, which is then going to affect their firms. I don't know if we want to transition, but you talked a little bit about, uh, you know, I assume this is then all equated to leadership within the firm. And as a yep. great leader, you need to have be aware of these three items, know how you can affect them, which we just talked about, and improve. And that'll help overall. Yeah. So let me give a little teeny tool here Yep. Um, that it sounds really, really simple, but it, it's very powerful. Uh, often t- I teach classes on leadership and by the end of the course, after we've been through all of it, I have everyone create their own personal philosophy of leadership, a page describing if I could really be the kind of leader I wanted to be, if I could act and behave in a way that made me proud. And I was sure I was doing the things that would make me a really, in my own eyes, by my definition, a great leader, write that down on a piece of paper and look at it every morning before you start work. And look at it at least uh, sometimes every day. When I was a young CEO, that's what I did. Mm. Um, I was running a fairly large company when I was 26 and I was in way over my head. So I had a sheet on the, and I would walk in every day and look at it and go, this is who I have to be today. These are the things I have to focus on today. I have to, these are the characteristics and attitudes and behaviors I have to exhibit today to be a good leader. Then before I left at the end of the day, I'd sit down with my door closed for a little while and go over the list and say, how'd you do, John? Uh, then once a quarter, I would have my entire, I, not, I don't have, I would ask my entire staff to fill it out and give it to someone else and give me all the scores. 
And then I would stand up in front of my group and say, well, I did well in these three or four areas, but you've scored me low in these two or three areas. I promise you I will work on them and I'll bring those numbers up for next quarter. So I held myself accountable to it every week. And then I, I asked my team to hold me accountable to being that kind of a leader because my quote was, is I'm going to ask you to act and behave and do things in a certain way for the company. I need to make a promise that I'll do what I say I'll, I'll do too. Right. There, there alone shows leadership. I mean, and that, uh, that, I mean, just that I want you to give me input on how I can do my job better, how I can be a better person that alone people are going to love, I, I would assume. And so that that's great. All right, John, that everything you've told me is made me think one, I got to go read books. <laughs> Two, I just got to go listen to you speak everywhere I can. I'm going to start looking at all the videos on uh, YouTube or wherever there's things out there. But, but three, before we close it out, is there some final wrap up, some final piece of advice that you'd like to give everybody? Yeah, I, thank you for the opportunity to, to, to say this. Uh, I gave a TED Talk years ago uh, on the most important thing I've ever learned. And I'll give you the top two. Number one is, or the number two, soon to be top in a minute. The yeah. second one is ask for help. A lot of people think it, it shows weakness to ask for help. It's the exact opposite. I've worked for several billionaires, uh, worked for a lot of very, very successful people. And the most successful people I've ever met are great at asking for advice, input, suggestions, feedback, help. So number two, ask for help. Single most important thing I've ever learned. You become what you focus on and like the people you surround yourself with. Whatever you're, <coughs> sorry, Randy, reading, <laughs> studying, looking at, whatever you're focused on, yep. uh, whatever you fill your brain with, and then whoever you choose to surround yourself with, you, who you choose to spend your time with, pretty much determines what your, your company will look like yep. and your life will look like. All right. All right. Well, those are, I think that's great. Ask for help. Focus on on. Uh, the things you like and the yep. and spend focus time on the with the people. Most important. Hey, there you go. Uh, okay, you become what you focus on, like the people you spend time with. And when you hit sixty, your memory starts to go. <laughs> you notice that I'm, I'm uh, I am it's the third most important thing. I'm four days into my sixties. It's hitting hard right now. So. You can barely remember it now. <laughs> exactly. Well, you say all this stuff. I can't fit it all in at once. I have to digest <laughs> it and then come back to it. So. I thought you had this astronomical IQ. And so it's sixty your brain cells start to go. So you never know. <laughs> I don't want to take an, decline. <laughs> I don't want to take an IQ test anymore because I think I'll be disappointed. <laughs> so, all right. Well, John, uh, uh, that is awesome. That is great advice. I, I could do this for hours and, and I'm probably going to ask you to come back on. Well, I am going to, whether you, uh, whether you agree or not, we will see, but I'm sure there's plenty of topics you and I could talk about. So uh, before we go, uh, anybody wants to get a hold of you or find your books or find out more about John Spence in general, where would they look? It's two, two easy ones. My website is john at johnspence.com, highly innovative there. But my personal email address is john at johnspence.com. Okay, just so, so you know, you just said the same thing twice. Oh, same thing. <laughs> See, I, I'm 58, it's starting to go too. My website is johnspence.com. My personal email address is john at johnspence.com. And I do answer all my own emails. So, but it might take me a few days to get back to you. And if you've got a question or something that's important or urgent, just put that in all caps in the headline and I will stop what I'm doing and read it. 
And if I don't have the answer, I will find somebody who does. Okay, I just typed an email to you in all caps, so I'm waiting for the response. We'll see. I, I, I did not. But I, but I got my mouse ready to go. I see that. That's awesome. As soon as we go off the air. <laughs> That's great. Well, John, thanks again. This is. I had a great time, and, and I learned a lot, and, and I, I think the audience will too. So thanks for being here. It's my honor. It's my pleasure, Randy. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on The Unique CPA. You can find all the links and show notes for today's episode, as well as more about TriMerit at theuniquecpa.com. Remember to subscribe and join us for our next episode where we'll be going beyond compliance into forging new pathways of delivering value to your clients, diversifying your revenue streams, and leading edge management techniques and styles.